Good evening. Another billionaire with a shady past dies mysteriously in a prison. The United States shuts down Iranian news agency. And why isn't Pedro Castillo named winner of the election in Peru? While New Yorkers await the count. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the news for Wednesday, June 23rd, 2021. John McAfee, the creator of McAfee antivirus software, was found dead in his jail cell near Barcelona in an apparent suicide today, hours after a Spanish court approved his extradition to the United States to face tax charges punishable by decades in prison. The regional Catalan government said they tried to revive uh, McAfee, an eccentric cryptocurrency promoter and tax opponent found in his prison cell unconscious. His history of legal troubles spanned from Tennessee to Central America to the Caribbean. In July 2019, McAfee was released from detention in the Dominican Republic after he and five others were suspected of traveling on a yacht carrying high-caliber weapons, ammunition, and military-style gear. He had been arrested in Tennessee for tax evasion, arrested again at the Barcelona airport. He'd been held in Spain for eight months. The billionaire was 75. And a campaign worker for Eric Adams, the New York City mayoral frontrunner and a former cop who says he's going to be tough on crime, was the victim of a knife attack in the South Bronx Sunday. Today, police identified one of the two attackers. The victim, whose name has not been released, was reported in stable condition at Lincoln Hospital. The Daily News reports the Adams volunteer has refused to tell detectives what happened. Police sources say he has a record of 18 arrests. Adams said yesterday, this is a young man that had several brushes with the law and was inspired by the campaign and decided he wanted to be part of this movement for change. Meanwhile, New York City mayoral candidate Catherine Garcia urged New Yorkers today to be patient as election officials start the arduous process of tallying votes. Although currently in third place, Garcia says she can still win as the ranked choice voting procedure plays out. The initial tally put Adams in first place, followed by former de Blasio aide Maya Wiley. Candidate Andrew Yang has already conceded. The race for Manhattan Borough President, meanwhile, is too close to call, with Mark Levine at 29 percent and Brad Hoylman at 26 percent. For the job of comptroller, Brad Lander has 31 percent of the vote, followed by Corey Johnson in second place at 23 percent. Meanwhile, Lower Manhattan District 1 saw Christopher Marty, an anti-establishment candidate, lead the pack, garnering 40 percent of the votes cast, but he's short as the other candidates of the 50 percent threshold needed to win outright. In the third council district, two WB our friends are trailing frontrunner Eric Botcher. He had, pardon me, he had 47% of the vote. Arthur Schwartz was in second place with 15%. Marnie Halassa, running on a pro-public housing agenda, has 5%. And United States authorities took down a range of Iran's state-linked news websites under vague circumstances today, a move that appeared to be far-reaching crackdown on Iranian media amid heightened tensions between the two countries. The U.S. sees roughly three dozen websites, including Iran's official media outlet, Press TV. The takedowns come as world powers scramble to resurrect Iran's tattered 2015 nuclear deal and just days after the election victory of Iran's hardline judiciary chief, Ibrahim Raisi. The managing editor of the website, Washington Babylon, is Andrew Stewart. He says the United States' action is an assault on free speech with far-reaching implications. Press TV is the news channel state-run by Tehran, like any state-owned 
broadcast or press outlet. It's got a editorial line in service of that government's geopolitical and national interests. It does tend to be a bit eccentric if you look at it from the perspective of Iran's soft power interests. They want to reach a wide audience in the United States. Sometimes they will have on radicals like Noam Chomsky, and sometimes they will have on not just conservatives, but outright reactionary personalities. They've featured people affiliated with Lyndon LaRouche and his popular cult. Well, I'm looking right now at PressTV.com, and it says this website has been seized in English and Arabic. The domain PressTV.com has been seized by the United States government in accordance with a seizure warrant issued pursuant of 18 U.S.C. as part of a law enforcement action by the Bureau of Industry and Security, Office of Export Enforcement, and Federal Bureau of Investigation. What were they doing to violate all those laws? That's a very good question. It's very mysterious at this point. It demonstrates a hardening line that will be coming from the Biden White House towards Iran. The justification is pretty facetious. This is the bellwether of something. It's hard to judge. This point is almost like tea leaves reading with why or how, but it goes in line with a larger set of developments that we can expect to see from Washington regarding Iran. RT next, they're usually millions of followers in the United States. They're very popular. There already have been some heightened tensions. And earlier, the people working for RT were asked to register with the U.S. government as agents of a foreign nation. And this is part of a larger pattern. Telesur from Venezuela, their writers and personalities as well have been limited due to the sanctions regime that was imposed on that country. So many writers have been forced to leave there as well. This is really a another weapon, another tool in the war between these countries, this Cold War that's going on between these countries. Absolutely. These policies very quickly overlap with domestic free speech issues. A hundred years ago, you could say that, well, Reds and the United States that are sympathetic to the Russian Revolution, well, they're agents of espionage, and that is the justification for the Palmer Raids. Imagine that being used again to say that pro-detente policy advocates in the U.S. who are open for further dialogue with Tehran or Moscow, all of a sudden they're agents of a foreign government. And this is part of a long developing pattern, and it's important that Americans understand the Internet is a public domain system that is slowly but surely and very steadily facing an enclosure campaign equivalent to the enclosures of the 18th century, and it's important for Americans to assert their right to free speech in the Internet because we paid for it and it's our public domain property. Andrew Stewart, he's the managing editor of the website Washington Babylon. In more news, the managing, uh, pardon me, in another assault on freedom of the press, Hong Kong police arrested the top editors of Apple Daily, a newspaper in that country, froze its assets and raided its news newsroom in a sharp escalation of the Chinese government's campaign against dissent. Last year, police arrested 
uh, arrested Jimmy Lai, the newspaper's publisher for participating in banned protests. The raid was carried out by hundreds of police officers. A Hong Kong resident currently in New York named Amy says the Apple Daily has been around for 26 years and its closing is a blow to Hong Kong independence activists. It has been with Hong Kong for 26 years. And so far, to up to this day, this is the only paper that is pro-democracy. Every single other paper is pro-government right now. And especially with the, the founder of Apple Daily being jailed, this has been a symbol for Hong Kong freedom of speech. The forcing to close of this paper, meaning that that's the end of Hong Kong's freedom of speech. What effect is that going to have on on people in Hong Kong, on the morale? We are all very, very sad. The closing of that Apple Daily has been the event that we've been talking about. It's all over social media. Every single social media have been talking about it. Also, cartoonists, that's what they've been writing or drawing about. What's they jailed Jimmy Lai, who was the founder of Apple Daily. And then a few days ago, not long ago, they jailed five of the chief officers of Apple Daily. Days after, they broke the account of Apple Daily so that they could not really use the money to operate the paper. This is not unknown to Hong Kong people because this has been going on since the start of the national security law. But it's really getting close to home. Like now we cannot even read this paper. For us, it's basically the end of Hong Kong. What differentiates us from China is the freedom of speech. We are still allowed to use Facebook. People in mainland China, they're not allowed to use Facebook. They have to use the VPN or WhatsApp. We're allowed to use that. But then it seems like this is the first step. Closing Apple Daily is the first step. What is next? It could be just not allowing us to use Facebook, not allowing us to use Google. It's just ridiculous because Hong Kong is an international financial center of Asia or even the world. If they are not allowing people to use Google or to use WhatsApp to communicate with the outside world. This will be the end of this financial, international financial center. G7 and NATO leaders have been saying that they want to unite and also fight China and China's influence in the rest of the world. I hope that they're actually going to make that happen instead of just talking. Amy is a Hong Kong resident currently in New York. And in more election news, the United States State Department said today that Peru's recent presidential election was a model of democracy, despite efforts by conservative candidate Keiko Fujimori to get ballots thrown out while raising accusations of fraud or fraud. Even as fear of a coup grows and the country's election commission holds off naming leftist Pedro Castillo the winner. Peruvian journalist Francesca Emanuele says the hostile rhetoric from the right wing is becoming more violent. There is like violent calls in Peru. There have been at least two demonstrations organized by Keiko supporters, and many of them are assured that there was fraud in these elections, despite international observers uh, like the OAS and the European Union have said that there's no evidence of fraud. And despite these allegations of Keiko Fujimori, they keep their position, their stance on 
that there is no evidence of fraud at all. So there are threats to a coup of some sort? Last week, hundreds of former military members wrote a letter threatening the coup against Castillo if he is declared the president. The current president of Peru in a press conference said that this is illegal and actually he requested an investigation. But on the other hand, Keiko Fujimori is requesting more reviews of the tally sheets and she's trying to delay as much as possible the proclamation of Castillo as the president. This is very scary because each day that passes, there it's a day where the economic powers and supporters of Keiko Fujimori, Keiko Fujimori herself, have time to come up with creative ideas or creative paths to attack or blockade the proclamation of Castillo as president. We have to remember that Keiko Fujimori is under investigation and the prosecutor has requested for her to be in prison for 30 years, a sentence of 30 years, because she's been investigated for money laundering and also because she illegally financed her party with money of Odebrecht. Briefly, what is Odebrecht? Yeah, a real estate company from Brazil that actually was receiving uh, contracts with governments in Latin America uh, in exchange for in exchange for briberies in exchange of giving them briberies to different uh, politicians in Latin America and in the case of Keiko Fujimori uh, Odebrecht gave money to her party uh, and in exchange of contracts. Of course, this is like dark money sources in the sense that it is illegal to give contracts to a real estate company without a fair and clear process because you receive bribe or money in order to give those contracts. So these are people who became rich in this company, just like bribing politicians. If she's elected, Fujimori is elected, she's not held accountable for this that means Peru is under the control of uh, a criminal enterprise, basically. Definitely. In fact, the prosecutor has said that Fujimori's party is a criminal organization with those words. So definitely if Keiko Fujimori succeeds, Peru will be run by a criminal organization. That's for sure. And that is Francesca Manuele. She's a Peruvian journalist based in Washington, D.C. The director of international policy at the Center for Economic Policy Research, Alexander Maine, said today, by any objective measure, Pedro Castillo has won Peru's presidential election. Pedro Castillo has, for all intents and purposes, won this election after the vote count was completed at 100 percent. He was ahead of Keiko Fujimori by 44,000 votes. That was already almost two weeks ago that vote count was completed, and yet he still hasn't been declared the winner. So why is that? It is rather extraordinary that it's taken this long, and it has a lot to do with Keiko Fujimori's tactics of delaying the official result by making all sorts of complaints around technicalities and trying to get as many as 200,000 votes annulled. They've gone as far as going into the areas where Pedro Castillo won the most votes, primarily, you know, very rural and more indigenous areas, 
where you had often as much as 90% of the vote. And they're trying to disqualify many of those votes specifically, even though there's absolutely no evidence of any kind of fraud, any kind of manipulation of the vote whatsoever. They've been spinning this whole narrative of fraud much in the same way that Trump did here in the U.S. back in November. We're seeing the same thing. The big difference is that the context of Peru is radically different from that of the U.S. In Peru, you have essentially all of the very powerful elites of the country that are supportive of Keiko Fujimori. And this is very much reflected in the media coverage that you see there. The private media is in the hands of a few of the wealthiest families of Peru. It's really taking these fraud allegations seriously, trying to convince a broad sector of the public in Peru that there was, in fact, fraud. And in the meantime, you're also seeing a lot of pressure on the electoral authorities coming from pro-Keiko Fujimori protesters that are sort of lodged permanently in front of the homes of many of the electoral authorities. The electoral authorities are getting death threats and so on. And all of this explains why the result is delayed as long as it has been and that it may continue to be delayed. They're under enormous pressure to take these allegations of Keiko Fujimori seriously. There are protesters that have come into Lima. There are protesters in various parts of the country that are peacefully holding protests, defending the vote very clearly. They have big signs saying, we will defend our votes. And they're quite right to be doing this. And where could this end up? Could there be a coup? There are all sorts of possibilities. It's very hard to say. Certainly there are rumors of a possible coup. You've had a number of high-ranking retired officers that have called for a coup in Peru. There's also the possibility that the electoral authorities will end up buckling, end up reversing the result. That's not impossible either. If Pedro Castillo is finally announced the winner, you can be sure that they're going to do everything to undermine him as soon as possible. And of course, the elites, as they control food distribution, as they control the economy of the country, they can pursue a sort of an economic war against the president. You know, we've seen that on various occasions throughout Latin America. Now they have democracy. And then when the wrong person gets voted in, that's the end of the democracy. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Typically, when the wrong person is voted in, that tends to be a more progressive person like Pedro Castillo, who wants to get the state more involved in the economy. But they can also engage in um, intense uh, destabilization to try to drive out a progressive leader. He has won the election. He should have been announced the winner so far. But thanks to Keiko Fujimori's delaying tactics, this hasn't happened yet. Alexander Maine, Director of International Policy at the Center for Economic and Policy Research. It's yet to be seen if the tactics of former United States President Donald Trump will undermine democracy in Peru. Meanwhile, closer to home, a coalition of advocates, legal services, human service uh, human service providers and people who've experienced housing discrimination came together at City Hall Park in Manhattan today to advocate for passage of a bill to end housing discrimination based on criminal records. Clark Adamitis was there, and he sends this report. In New York, landlords can refuse to rent homes to people who spent time behind bars, even if a person was incarcerated decades ago. That's why advocates are pushing for the passage of the Fair Chance for Housing campaign, intro 2047. The bill would ban landlords from discriminating against people who have conviction records. Allison Wilkie is the director of public policy with the John Jay College Institute for Justice and Opportunity. 
In New York City, there's 750,000 people who have a conviction record. That's almost 11% of the adult population. So the inability to access housing once you have a conviction is a big issue, not only for people who have convictions, but for their families and for their children. Hilton N. Webb Jr. was released from prison in 2017. Eventually, he found housing with the Fortune Society, which supports successful reentry from incarceration and promotes alternatives to incarceration. When I got out, I couldn't find a place to live. Nobody would rent a place to me because of my conviction record. I'm a firm believer that without a place to rest your head that's safe and secure, nothing else in your life is possible. You can't get a job. And since I didn't have a place to go, I had to report to the men's shelter on 30th Street. After one night there, I was strongly considering a refrigerator box in the street because that would have been preferable to where I was. I mean, I'm trying to live a life of authenticity, which means I'm not trying to be deceitful. So I'll tell the landlord or the super that I was in prison, and that seems to be a turnoff. Rosalind Smith served 39 years in prison. She has also faced discrimination. I was dreaming about the day I came home, the day I could be independent, the day I could live on my own, not have people tell me what to do, where to go, and how to do it. But... The sad thing is that I found out there are so many collateral consequences for people that have criminal backgrounds. When I first came home, I went to a transitional house just to get on my feet. I'm like applying for housing and I'm excited about that. This is a new journey for me. You know, I've never lived in my own place ever. So I get a letter stating that I was denied because of my criminal background. People shouldn't be discriminated against because they have criminal backgrounds. Advocates believe housing is a human right and allowing justice-involved people equal access to safe and stable housing strengthens our communities. It's now up to city council to bring the bill which would prohibit housing discrimination on the basis of arrest to a vote. Clark Adamitis, WBAI News, New York. Thanks, Clark. And finally, it's last call for alcohol to go in New York as the COVID-19 state of emergencies expiration will end what restaurants consider a lifeline during the pandemic. The new the state liquor authority today confirmed the regulations allowing boozy beverages with takeout orders will lapse alongside the COVID-19 emergency rules on Thursday. That's tomorrow. Governor Andrew Cuomo announced this morning the state of emergency would expire. But federal CDC guidelines for mask wearing in certain situations will remain in place. State lawmakers this year declined to take up a measure that would have set alcohol-to-go rules in state law. Restaurants have said through news releases they want booze to go to be extended. And that's some of the news for Wednesday, June 23rd, 2021. The news producer Linda Perry, our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening. 